We first meet Betzalel and last week's Perashah, Parashat Kitisa. And again, then again this week when we read about him in Vayakel and Pikudeh. So in tonight's class, I want to focus on two points. <clears throat> One is the dispute between Moshe Rabbeinu and Betzalel. And the other is Betzalel being a Gilgul, a reincarnation, or perhaps an Ibor, although the rabbis use the term here as as a Gilgul, of his grandfather Hur, who died while he was still alive. So I'm not exactly sure if it's a Gilgul or a, or a, or a Ibor. But I want to see the connection between the two of them. Now first, the dispute between Moshe Rabbeinu and Betzalel. We discussed the dispute last week, but I'm going to look at it from a different angle today. The dispute was with regard to the order of building the Mishkan and its vessels. We're very surprised. Here we have this 13-year-old boy, and he prevails over Moshe Rabbeinu, the Eved of Hashem, the prophet, the ultimate prophet, the leader of the generation. He prevails over him in deciding what is the correct order of which we produce first. <clears throat> the Pasuk tells us, Betzalel ben Uri, the son of Uri, ben Hur, the grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Yehuda, did everything that Hashem commanded Moshe. Now normally we have that Moshe commanded in the name of Hashem. Here we have that everything that Hashem commanded Moshe. Rashi asks the question, what's going on here? He says, everything that Hashem commanded Moshe, he says, this implies that even with regard to matters, which his master, meaning Moshe Rabbeinu, did not tell Betzalel, his mind, Betzalel, intuited that which had been said to Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai. And Rashi brings the specific, the specific uh, detail. He says that Moshe commanded Betzalel to make the vessels first, the Aron, the Menorah, the Shulchan, and afterwards to make the Mishkan. Betzalel turns to Moshe and says, it's common practice to first make a house and then to place the vessels in it afterwards. He, Moshe Rabbeinu, said to him, thus, as you suggest, did I hear from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Moshe furthermore said to to Betzalel, he said, you must have been Betzel Hashem. His name is Betzalel, in the shadow of Hashem. Moshe says to him, you must have been in the shadow, Betzel, of Kel, of Hashem. For that's indeed what Hashem commanded me. And that's what Betzalel did. First he did the Mishkan, and afterwards he made the vessels. We know Rashi's source for this is based on the Gemara and Berachot. And the commentaries, the rabbis discuss at epic length, this epic dispute between Moshe Rabbeinu and Betzalel. It says, what's the underlying rationale behind each viewpoint? Which should go first? Last week we reviewed one aspect of it, being Moshe looking from above to below and Betzalel looking from below to above. In the newsletter this week, I add another reason you could read about, but I added a beautiful reason Based, this week's class is based on a beautiful, beautiful, unique understanding of the concept that I saw from Rav Pinchas Friedman. And the question also is, why did Betzalel prevail? That the construction of the Mishkan should precede the making of the vessels. 
And furthermore, Betzalel's argument has to be scrutinized. Okay, he says, the vessels, when I make them, where am I going to put them? And the, the simple answer is, you know, we a lot of times we make furniture before the house is ready. We put them in the warehouse. We put them in storage. It says, would it have been possible to place the vessels he crafted into storage somewhere until the completion of the Mishkan? After all, every time they journeyed in the Midbar, the Mishkan had to come apart. Clearly, the vessels didn't remain inside the Mishkan. Rather, the Leviim watched over them during each journey as they were instructed. Remember that it only takes Betzalel about 70 days to do everything. The Mishkan and all the vessels. It should have taken him the better part of the year. It takes him only 70 days to complete the project. And once he completes the project, what happens? Everything goes into storage and really waits for three months. The rabbis tell us he finished, he began right after they collected everything. So he began around Sukkot. He finishes around Chavhei of uh, Kislev, the day we will celebrate Hanukkah. And what happens? And everything has to wait until Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is coming up this this weekend. And he has to wait till then, till they actually are going to uh, consecrate the Mishkan. So went into storage. So his question is a little difficult to understand. <clears throat> we also learn in the Gemara and Shabbat, Lo bara hakadosh baruch et olamo. Hashem did not create his world except in order that they would fear him. Like it says, It says in Kohelet that Hashem acted so that man should be in awe of him. So it seems based on the Gemara, based on what Shlomo HaMelech is writing in Kohelet, that the purpose of creating the world was for the sake of the Torah and the awe of Hashem. We see it says Bereshit bara Elokim et Hashemayim ve'Taaretz. It says Bereshit for the Reshit. Who's the Reshit? The beginning. The Reshit is Israel, the first of his uh, crop, and the Reshit is the Torah. Nevertheless, we have to understand it's impossible to observe any or all of the mitzvot of the Torah, either actively or passively without something called Yirat Shamayim, awe of heaven. <clears throat> In the words of Kohelet, Sof tavar hakol nishma et ha'elokim ira ve'ed mitzvotav shemor ki kol adam. The sum of the matter when all has been considered is what? Fear Hashem and keep His mitzvot. For that's all our purpose in this world. We have to endeavor to comprehend how important this idea of Yirat Hashem is to the perpetuation of the Torah. And without it, man is prevented, prevented really from going forward. In Parshat Shoftim, there's a rabbi, we call him the Arugot HaBosem. He explains Yirat, fear. Yirat, fear and reverence. I think the word Yirat comes from Ro'es, see, acknowledge. <clears throat> it represents a locked, well-guarded storehouse intended for the safekeeping of the Torah and mitzvot. Those are his words. He says, If chas v'shalom, a purpose person, he lacks the necessary yirat shamayim, the necessary fear of heaven, 
this vital storehouse, then he resembles a person who possesses a large amount of silver and gold, but lacks a proper storehouse to keep them safe. Ultimately, what's going to happen? The unprotected fortune is going to be stolen from him. He says, in a similar way, a person who studies the Torah, he performs the mitzvot, but he lacks the treasure house of Yirat Shamayim, with which to store and protect them, it is as if he's abandoning them, he's leaving them unprotected to be snatched away by the forces of evil and Tumah. Rabbi Avitan would always tell us it's crucial to have Yirat Shamayim. You could love Hashem, love Hashem, but don't forget you have to have Yirat Shamayim because if you don't have Yirat Shamayim, it goes. He would quote Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, who tells us, En lo hakadosh, en lo lehakadosh baruchu. Hashem doesn't have in his storehouse ele otsar shel yirat shamayim. He has what does he have? He has this idea of the fear of sin. We have shinema yirat Hashem, he otsro. The fear of Hashem, that's what's going to endure. This is crucial, says Rav Shimon. The Tana emphasizes that the person's fear of sin is more important to him than his wisdom implying that his fear of sinning must at least be commensurate with his chokhmah, with his wisdom. Hence, the more Torah wisdom that a person attains, keep this in mind, they say the greater the person, the greater the challenge, the more wisdom a person attains, the more he must enhance and augment his yirat shamayim, his fear and his recognition of heaven. He must enlarge that storehouse he has to be able to accommodate all the newly acquired chokhmah. We compare it to a wealthy person. He acquires a huge amount of wealth. As his wealth grows, he needs a larger storehouse in which to keep it and safeguard it. In this manner, the Arugot HaBosim explains Betzalel's logic for building the Mishkan prior to the vessels. It's apparent that the vessels of the Mishkan allude to Torah study. Clearly, the Aron, we have the Aron, and what's in the Aron? The Luchot, the, the tablets. They're associated, the Torah itself, they're associated with the study of Torah. We know also the Menorah that was kindled in the, in the uh, Mishkan. And the Shulchan also represent the partnership of Issachar and Zivulun. Where do we learn that? It says in the Gemara. A person who wants to become wise should face towards the south, and one who wants to become wealthy should face towards the north. What does that mean? <coughs> the Shulchan stands towards the south, while the Menorah stands, sorry, towards the north. The Shulchan representing sustenance, money, prosperity, is to the north, while the Menorah stands in the south. And that's what we say when a person prays to Amidah. If he turns a little to the one side, he's looking for the money. If he turns a little to the other side, he's looking for the knowledge. So the menorah is associated with wisdom, while the shulchan is associated with wealth. The mishkan itself, which is basically the fence that surrounds the whole thing, this is really like a protective barrier. And this alludes to yirat shamayim, fear of sin, and the subsequent punishment that comes. And this is where we have the pasuk that says, Yirat Hashem, He Otsro. Fear of heaven, this is his treasure. Just as Yirat Shamayim is a storehouse, 
and it's capable of protecting all of a person's Torah. Similarly, when Moshe and Bezalel built the Mishkan, they, they, the, the, the design of it was in order to safeguard the vessels within it. And the whole idea is to allude to the study of Torah and to protect the study of Torah from the influences of evil. We can now better understand Bezalel's intuition. He says to Moshe, it's customary to first build a house and then place the vessels in it. If I make the vessels, where am I going to place them? In other words, what's he saying to Moshe? The vessels allude to the study of Torah, like we're saying. Without fear of punishment, they're going to remain unguarded. They're going to be unprotected. Therefore, it's imperative, Moshe, that I construct the Mishkan first. This is the storehouse of Yirat, of Yirat Chet, of fear of sin. And this will be a protection to the wisdom of the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu's viewpoint to fashion the vessels prior to the building of the Mishkan has to be understood. What's going on? It makes perfect sense what, what Bezalel is saying, and Moshe in the end is agreeing to him. So what was Moshe thinking? What's Moshe's viewpoint? So if we look at the teaching of Rab El Azar ben Azariah, he says in the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, Im en chokma en yira. If there's no wisdom, there's no fear. Im en yira en chokma. If there's no fear, there's no wisdom. So we have a problem there. Im en chokma en yira. If there's no wisdom, there's no fear. So which comes first, the chicken or the egg? The Midrash Shmuel is perplexed by the statement. If wisdom cannot be attained without yir'ah, without fear, and yir'ah cannot be obtained without wisdom, then it would be impossible for a person to attain either one. So how do we reconcile the difficulty? We see in the derashot of the Ran. The Ran, he explains, that there are two types of yir'ah Hashem. Two types of yir'ah. We have to think about this. One type of yir'ah, fear, is called Yid'at Ha'onesh, the fear of punishment. In the case of Yid'at Ha'onesh, the person is afraid that Hashem is going to punish him severely if he sins. This constitutes a service, like we were mentioning last week, that's really lo lishma. <clears throat> the person is doing his actions, why? To avoid punishment. And thus, in reality, his service to Hashem is somewhat insincere. But the rabbis tell us, and Rabbi Abitan would tell us always, there's a higher form of Yir'ah. This Yir'ah is referred to as Yir'at Haromemut. It's an awe inspired by the Almighty's greatness and supremacy. I remember the rabbi would talk to us and he would say, it's the difference between a Yir'ah of a king and a Yir'ah of a father. I want to explain as we go. In the Zohar Kadosh, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai Rashbi, he defines Yirat HaOnish as a person fearing that Hashem is going to punish him, either physically or financially, or else he fears the punishment of Gehinam. He's afraid if I do something wrong, I'm going to burn down there later on. So clearly, this kind of a person who's afraid of being punished, who's afraid that Hashem's going to take away his wealth, who's afraid that he's going to go down there and burn, this person, he has a lower level of Yirah. It's preferable that a person fear and revere Hashem. Why? Not because he's afraid of being punished, 
But because Hashem is the supreme ruler, the essence and source of everything in the world, fear of punishment in Olam Hazeh or in Olam Haba is possible and even necessary prior to studying Torah. We learn if one's fear of sin takes precedence over his wisdom, his wisdom is going to endure. So at least this fear of punishment should be a prerequisite for our learning Torah. So that a person will know what to do, what not to do. Without any form of Yirah, the Yetzir Hara is going to simply prevent a person from studying properly at all. If we understand the Mishkan, it alludes merely to the lower level of Yirah, the fear of punishment of one's sins. How then did the Mishkan help to achieve Yirat Haromemut, this ultimate goal, this higher level of the awe of the greatness of Hashem. As the rabbi used to explain, he says, you know, <clears throat> a person could be afraid to do a sin because he's afraid to get punished. But if I look at Hashem as my father, I'm afraid to do a sin, not because of that. I'm afraid that I'm going to embarrass my father. I'm the child of the king, and I have to do it because I love the reality, the rabbi would explain that this type of yirat haromemut is really akin to ahava, to love. He said we would start with ahava, build ourselves to yirah, and the higher level of yirah is really this level of ahava. It appears that we could really reconcile the difficulty here, because if we're saying the mishkan represents this lower level of yirah, then what's going on? Where do we achieve? How do we achieve the higher level of yirah? So to understand this, we have to go back to the book of Bereshit. Not all the way back to Adam, like we usually do. But we're going to go to Vayetzeh. And it says there, where Avraham, where, where, where ya, sorry, Yaakov Avinu. He goes, he has his dream with the ladder, etc. And when he wakes up, he says, he becomes frightened when he wakes up. He realizes that he, he put his head to sleep. This is the gate of heaven. What's going on? Rashi comments <coughs> that what is he seeing based on the Midrash? Based on the Midrash, he's seeing that there's a Bet HaMikdash below. And this Bet HaMikdash below is aligned to a Bet HaMikdash above. So in reality, the Mishkan represents the Bet HaMikdash below, alluding to this lower form of Yir'ah, Yir'at HaOnish, the fear of punishment. This we have to have before we could attain wisdom. But the connection of the Mishkan below to the Bet HaMikdash above, this upper Bet HaMikdash alludes to the higher form of Yir'ah, Yir'at HaRomemut, being in awe of Hashem's supremacy and His sovereignty, this reality is apparent in the heavens without any guises or concealment. So as we explained, the Mishkan, which was constructed before the vessels were crafted, alluded to a fear of sin. This is the prerequisite for attaining the Chokhmah of Torah. This was the idea behind B'Tzalel. So when a person entered a Mishkan to bring a Korban to Hashem, to get closer to Hashem, he merited in imbuing within himself the Kiddushah of the Mishkan and attaining the necessary Yir'ah to attain the Chokhmah of the Torah. Nevertheless, we have to remember that the ultimate goal, the higher goal, is to achieve this level of Yir'at HaRomemut, the awe of the Almighty. So what did Hashem do? He arranged 
for the Bet HaMikdash above, representing Yirat HaRomemut, to be aligned directly with the Bet HaMikdash below, representing Yirat HaOnish. In this manner, when Bnei Israel enter the Mishkan, they want to climb higher and higher, level to level. They start off with the lower level of Yirat, which they glean from the Kiddushah of the Mishkan. But afterwards, they're imbued with the Kiddushah of the Torah via the Aron, via the Menorah. And this enables them to rise even higher and achieve this Yirat HaRomemut. This explains really beautifully what Yaakov Avinu was saying on Har Moriah. The site where the Bet HaMikdash is destined to be built. What does he say? Manorah Makom. How awesome is this place? He says, this is none other than the abode of Hashem. This is the gate of the heaven. On that historic night when Yaakov put his head down and he dreamed about the ladder going and the angels going up and down. He woke up with this sense of an elevated Yirah. He woke up with a sense of Yirat HaRomemut. How awesome! This is something he didn't experience until then. This surprised him because the Bet HaMikdash down here only represents the lower form of Yirah. He says, Yirat HaOnish is what it's supposed to represent. So he wonders how is it possible for him to be aroused with this Yirat HaRomemut. He says, How awesome is this place? He's moved by the realization that he slept on the site of the Bet HaMikdash below. And he says, En zekim bet elokim. But then he continues, sha'ar This is the gate of heaven. Because the Bet HaMikdash on earth is aligned with the Bet HaMikdash in the heavens. Therefore, the higher form of Yirah, Yirat HaRomemut, descends from above, influence everyone who enters the Bet HaMikdash down below. So now we could see, based on the opening verses in the second Perashah that we read this week, it says this is the this these are the the accountings of the Mishkan. Ha Mishkan Mishkan. Rashi asks a question. Mishkan Mishkan. Why the double wording? Mishkan Mishkan. Ha Mishkan Mishkan. Why the double wording? The Midrash learns from the repetition of the word that the Mishkan down below was aligned with the Mishkan up above. The opening words of Pikudei refer to this connection of a Mishkan above and a Mishkan below. The Mishkan below is aligned with the Mishkan above. Then the Pasuk goes ahead and said, Betzalel, Ben Uri, Ben Hur, of the tribe of Yehuda, he did everything that Hashem commanded Moshe. Rashi explains that this pasuk teaches us that Betzalel did things that Moshe didn't instruct him to do based on his own intuition. In other words, he realized that Hashem wanted him to build the Mishkan before the vessels because the Mishkan alludes to the fear of punishment, which is a prerequisite to the Chokmah of Torah. But we learn this is a problem. How could Bnei Israel achieve the higher form of Yirah, Yirat Haromemut, in a Mishkan that represents the lower level? Therefore, in order for us to resolve the narrative, it begins by saying, Ele pikudeha mishkan, mishkan. There's not one mishkan. There is a mishkan below. There's a mishkan below. There's a bet hamikdash below. There's a bet hamikdash above. 
that a person who comes into the one below, since it's Sha'ar HaShamayim, the gate to heaven, what's he able to do? He's able to draw down the Yirat HaRomemut from the Beth HaMikdash above. <clears throat> Teaches us a beautiful lesson. We have so many sins, we no longer have a Bet HaMikdash. But nevertheless, it's incumbent upon each of us to designate set times for the study of Torah in our Batei Knesiyot, in our Batei Midrash, or in the, in the Batei Midrash. We have to set aside time to learn in the synagogue, to learn in the study hall. Because these resemble, these possess a semblance of the Kedushah of the Bet HaMikdash. The Prophet Yechezkel says, me'at. I have been for them a Mikdash Me'at. The Gemara, Rabbi Yitzchak said, These are the synagogues. What's a Mikdash Me'at? What's a little Mikdash? The synagogues, the study halls. This practice of going to the synagogue. And now, thank God, we have more vaccines, more people out. We're able to a little more and more go and be in the synagogue says this helps our practice of Yirat Hashem and it connects us to the higher level of Yirat HaRomimut. So this is really the difference in the perspective of Moshe and Betzalel. Now I want to understand, we have Betzalel and the Pasuk tells us about Betzalel. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, See, I have called by name Betzalel Ben Uri Ben Hur. Of the tribe of Yehuda, I filled him with ruach, ruach Elohim, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with every type of work to make calculations, to work with gold, to work with silver, to work with copper. I taught him the craft of stone cutting, for filling in the craft of wood carving, every type of work he has the knowledge and the wisdom. And we learn from our blessed sages. Imagine this guy, master craftsman, can do anything. And I worked with a guy, Duke. He said, you know, he says, uh, a guy who's a jack of all trades is a master of none. He says, but this Betzalel was a master of all trades. How did he learn so much? How did he achieve so much? And the Gemara tells us that Betzalel, the day he started building the Mishkan, was his Bar Mitzvah day, was the day he turned 13. Betzalel was uniquely qualified to perform this task at 13? 13 years old? How? And the Torah tells us he was imbued with a divine spirit, a divine ruach. <clears throat> we have to ask, of all the God-fearing people, the Sadiqim who came from Israel, he says, why did Hashem choose this young boy, Betzalel, in particular to construct the Mishkan? Why him to fashion the vessels? And the Midrash gives us a specific answer. It says, see, Hashem, was called, Hashem is called by name, Betzalel ben Uri ben Hur. The question is, why is it necessary to mention Hur? And the answer is, because when B'nai Israel worshipped to worship idol, to worship, when the Nei Israel, when they desired to worship idolatry, what happened? Hor stepped up to stop them. Hor stepped up not to allow them to proceed. And what did they do? They murdered him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Hor, I will compensate you for this heroic 
act that you did. According to Rabbeinu Ha'ari, the Arizal writes, writes uh, Rabbi Chaim Vital writes in the name of the Ari in Sefer Halikutim, that the Pasuk in Parshat Vayakel cited by the Midrash is really teaching us some beautiful, important piece of information. Hashem wanted to demonstrate to Bnei Israel that not only had He forgiven them for the Chet Ha'egel, but He was forgiving them for killing, for murdering Hur. <clears throat> Rabbeinu Ari asserts, that it was difficult for Bnei Israel to believe that the building of the Mishkan would atone for the grievous sin of the Egel. Therefore, Moshe says to them, See! He drew their attention to the incredible fact that Hashem had chosen none other than Betzalel to build the Mikdash. And who was Betzalel? Ben Uri Ben Hur, the grandson of Hur, the man they murdered for attempting to prevent them from making the Egel. He offered this to them, Moshe Rabbeinu offered this to Bnei Israel as proof that the work and construction of the Mishkan would atone for the sin of the Egel, seeing that the prosecutor, the, the guy, basically the grandson of the guy they killed, is the one who's going to become their advocate. I wrote that it must have been so difficult for for Betzalel to even take on the job. I'm going to take on a job to give them clearance for killing my grand, grandfather. But he was so he was so running to do the work of Hashem. The Chatam Sofer goes further. He says that according to the Gemara Berachot, we don't appoint a leader without consulting the community. You can't just make a guy the boss, until you ask the people, are you willing to accept him as the boss? So, Hashem comes to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, Moshe, see this boy, 13-year-old Betzalel, the grandson of Hur? Do you think he's worthy to build the Mishkan for you? And Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, Master of the universe, if he's worthy in your eyes, certainly he's worthy in my eyes. <coughs> Excuse me. So, <coughs> Hashem says to Moshe, nevertheless, go ask Bnei Israel, make sure it's okay with them. Moshe comes to Bnei Israel and says, Listen, guys, I have this 13 year old kid I'm introducing you to. He's going to be the guy to build the Mishkan. Is it okay with you? And they say, Moshe, if it's okay with you, if it's okay with Hashem and okay with you, then for sure it's okay with us. What are you even asking us? The question is, why does Hashem opt to consult with Bnei Israel specifically with regard to the appointment of Betzalel to manage the construction of Mishkan? We don't have this in anything else. I guess you know his way. They're going to be nervous. 13-year-old kid, right? The Khatab Sofer explains that HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded Bnei Israel to build the Mishkan to atone for the Chet HaEgel. Furthermore, Betzalel merited being in charge of the entire project since he was, says the Chatam Sofer, Betzalel ben Uri ben Hur. He was the grandson of the man who sacrificed his life in an attempt to prevent Bnei Israel from making the Egel. Perhaps the people are going to object to his appointment since having him as the guy doing it is going to cause them shame and embarrassment. Every time they look at him, what are they going to think about? 
wow, we killed his grandfather. And he's making the atonement for us by building the Mishkan. It's going to cause them tremendous embarrassment, tremendous shame. It would remind them of the sin they committed with the Egel and of killing Chor. If they felt that their sin was too serious to be forgiven, then the appointment would serve no purpose. But in fact, really, the opposite is true. Shame, embarrassment, is a kapara. Shame, embarrassment, is an atonement. <clears throat> and since they favored Betzalel's appointment, then what are they doing? Their sin is going to be atoned as a result of their shame and embarrassment. The Sifat Emet goes one step further. In Likutim Vayakel, he says, not only did HaKadosh Baruch Hu choose Betzalel to build the Mishkan because he was the grandson of Hor, but he says, Hor reincarnated into Betzalel. I think he means Ibor. In fact, HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually altered Betzalel's appearance to resemble his grandfather Hor. So the spirit of of Hor enters into Betzalel and his face now resembles his own grandfather. This transformation is what prompts Moshe to say, see Hashem is called by name Betzalel ben Uri ben Hor. We see something else in the verse. It says, see Hashem, Havaya, has called by name Betzalel ben Uri ben Hor of Shevet Yehuda. He fills him with the spirit of Elohim. Elohim. In the same verse, Moshe begins with Havaya, the aspect of mercy, Rachamim, and he includes with the name Elohim, which resembles the aspect of Midah or Din. Rabbeinu Ha'ari writes that Hur was a Gilgul of Adam HaRishon. And as we mentioned last week, Adam HaRishon was guilty of Avodah Zarah when he committed the Chet Etz Hadat. We mentioned last week <coughs> that when the Nahash argued that every craftsman hates others of his craft, and he accused Hashem of eating from the tree in order to create the world, and saying that the reason Hashem doesn't want you to eat from the tree is because then you'll be like Hashem to create like he does. By accepting the words of the Nahash, Adam and Hava are guilty in some way of Abu Dazara. Therefore, Hur comes, he sacrifices his life in attempting to prevent B'nai Israel from making the Egel, falling for Abu Dazara, and in order, therefore, to atone for Adam Hadishon's act of Abu Dazara. We therefore see, Moshe says, See, Havaya is called by name. Betzalel ben Huri ben Uri ben Hur of Shevet Yehuda. The name Havaya, the Yudke and the Vav in the K, indicate that Hakadosh Baruch Hu had mercy on Bnei Israel. He provided them with atonement for the Chet Egel, and the murder of Hur by appointing Betzalel Hur's grandson to oversee the construction of the Mishkan and its vessels, is an act of mercy towards Bnei Israel to give them kapara. But the continuation of the text goes on to allude to the wondrous ways of Hashem. He installed within him the spirit, the Ruach of Elohim. The name Chur, Chet Vav Resh, if reversed, is Resh Vav Chet. Chur is Ruach. 
So when it says that Hashem instilled within, within Betzalel Ruach, He's instilling within Ruach, within him Ruach, which is Chur, his own grandfather. The use of the name Elohim indicates that this was an act of Deen, and it was designed to atone for the sin of Adam Harishon of Abu Dazara. So Chur reincarnates in some way into Betzalel, whom Hashem imbued with wisdom and understanding and knowledge of every craft to construct the Mishkan as an atonement for the Chet Egel and the murder of Chur. This now helps us to understand the continuation of the Pasuk. He filled him with the spirit of Elohim, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with every craft to make artistic designs, work with gold, with silver, with copper, etc. <clears throat> Since he was a Gilgul of Chur, he could remember everyone who participated actively in his murder. He also recognized everyone who stood by silently without condemning Hur's murder. They may have not participated actively, but they stood by and did nothing. Remember, the rabble came, tells him, build us an Egel. He says, no, they're going to kill him. Why aren't the whole people standing up and saying, no, don't you dare? So based on a person's level of involvement in this act of the Egel and of killing Hur, Betzalel, who was Hur, could determine whose contributions would be used for the holier parts of the Mishkan and whose contributions would be used for the other parts of the Mishkan. Going further, let's try to understand the beautiful relationship that existed between Betzalel and Aharon with regard to the Avodah, to the work in the Mishkan. On the one hand, Betzalel, the Gilgul of Hur, who was murdered al Kiddush Hashem by attempting to prevent Bnei Israel from making the Egel, he merited constructing the Mishkan and its vessels, and that atoned for the Chet Egel. On the other hand, we mentioned last week, we went through the whole class last week, what Aaron did. He actually made the Egel, but why did he do it? Because he wanted to spare Bnei Israel from extermination, because if they would have killed the prophet Hur and the, the, and the Kohen, Aaron, in one day, there would have been nothing. We see Aaron, he made the egg, he spares them because he's going to accept the responsibility upon himself. We explained that Aaron accepted upon himself the blame and the possible consequences for making the egg. That was all in order to save B'nai Israel from extermination. And in that merit, what does Hashem do? He makes Aharon the Kohen Gadol who's going to go out and get forgiveness for B'nai Israel on Yom Kippur in the Kodesh HaKodeshim. So the connection between Betzalel and Aharon is apparent. Betzalel was a Gilgul of Hur. Hur sacrificed his physical body to prevent B'nai Israel or attempt to prevent B'nai Israel from making the Egel. Therefore, as his reward, he merited building the physical structure of the Mishkan, the physical vessels of the Mishkan. Aaron, on the other hand, was willing to sacrifice his soul. He was willing to be disgraced for all eternity in order to spare B'nai Israel from extermination. Therefore, Aaron HaKohen merited performing the internal avodah, the service of the Korbanot in the Mishkan. So what happens? Betzalel and Aharon both contribute to the sanctity of the Mishkan, which was an atonement for the Chet HaEgel. 
with this in mind, I have something really, really beautiful to end. I never understood. <clears throat> we have this war with Amalek. And it says in, in Shemot, we read, Vayas Yehoshua Kasher Amar Lo Moshe. Yehoshua goes out like Moshe told him, Lehilachem Ba'amalek, to fight against Amalek. Umoshe Aharon Vechur. This is the first time we hear Hur. Moshe, Aharon, and their nephew, Hur. Hur was the son of Miriam. Alu Rosh Hagiv'ah. They went to the top of the, of the mountain, of the peak. Yarim Moshe Yadav. And as Moshe would raise his hands, Ve'gavar Yisrael. Yisrael would be beating Amalek. And when he would let his hands down, Amalek would be beating. And the hands of Moshe became very, very heavy. So they took a stone. And they let him sit on it. He sat on this stone. And Aaron and Hur each lifted up one of his hands. Where's Hur? Where's Aaron? What does all this have to do? Hur, we never heard of him until now. The Sifat Emet asserts that the Chet HaEgel was attributable to the poisonous venom which Amalek infected B'nai Israel during their battle. Just fighting with the Rasha infects us with some of their negativity. Keep that in mind. Fighting with the Rasha, we get some of the poison. Sifat Emet writes, without a doubt, all of the wrongdoings that were done subsequently with the Egil, everything that happened was on account of the wicked Amalek. He says the truth is that the entire Chet HaEgel is attributable to the wicked Amalek. They confused us prior to us receiving the Torah. They injected venom and the leaven, the hametz of the dough, the Yetzer Hara, into us. With this understanding, Sifat Emet interprets Yehoshua's remark to Moshe when they approached the camp after B'nai Israel had sinned with the Egel. Remember, Hashem tells Moshe, Lech red, go down. Yehoshua's waiting halfway down the mountain. He comes down, he tells Moshe, I hear the sound of the people. I hear battle, the sound of battle in the camp. Like there's a war. According to the Sifat Emet, Yehoshua sensed through his Ruach HaKodesh that the Chet HaEgel was a remnant and a repercussion of the battle of the war with Amalek. And he himself participated in that. He says, we can now comprehend Moshe Rabbeinu's profound reason for having Aaron and Hur accompany him during the battle. Through the power of Nebuah, he knew that Amalek infected the hearts and dedications of B'nai Israel, which ultimately led to the making of the Egel. So what does he do? He strategically plans that the two people who sacrifice themselves to save B'nai Israel from the sin of the Chet Egel, they join Moshe at the hilltop. Chor, who was killed by standing in the way of the people, and Aaron, who complied by making the Egel, but by accepting that the punishment should fall upon him in order to save the people. Furthermore, they were suitable choices for that role. They were destined to play integral parts, integral roles in the service of the Mishkan, the atonement of the Chet HaEgel. Chur, who reincarnates into Betzalel, 
was imbued with this Ruach Elohim to construct the Mishkan, to construct all of the vessels. And Aharon HaKohen, he performed the Avodah of the Korbanot in the Mishkan itself for Bnei Israel. Moshe foreseeing the integral roles that those two would play in the Mishkan. For the atonement of the Chet HaEgel, Moshe concluded that they would most certainly possess the power to assist in the battle with Amalek that caused the Chet HaEgel. So we really see some beautiful things. <clears throat> we see Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest of the great, is pressed by a 13-year-old child who says, Moshe, you sure you heard it right? And remember something. When Moshe is pressed by, by Betzalel, it's the day after he comes down from Har Sinai with all the laws. He's been there for 40 days and 40 days and no food and no water and no anything. And the first law he says, a little boy says, Moshe, I think he got it wrong. Moshe could have said, like I wrote, little boy, shush, little boy. But he says, you know what? You're right. From the perspective of the people, from your perspective, you're right. You must have been standing in the shadow of Hashem. Who could say this? But just but an incredible leader who's anav and who's dedicated only for Bnei Israel. This is Moshe. And we see Betzalel at 13 years old. He's able to look at things that have a perspective, the perspective of the people. And he's blessed with a ruach. The ruach that he's blessed with is Hur, his grandfather, the reverse. We see also Hur is going to be inside of Kalev. Because Kalev, when he's going to be one of the spies, we see that he's blessed with a ruach. What's a ruach acher? A different ruach. Who's the ruach acher? That's also Hur. Hur has tremendous power to stand up, to stand up for the people. And I wrote one other thing that was interesting. They complete the Mishkan in 70 days, and then they have to put it away for three months. And I think Hur also, I mean, Bitzalel also understood. Imagine, I just worked so hard. 70 days, night and day to get this project done. It's perfect. Moshe, show it off. Let's open up tomorrow. Let's invite everyone to see what we did. I want to show how proud I am. Moshe says, no, pack it up. Three months, we don't show it. The people are waiting. We need the Mishkan to do Kapara. Pack it up. Wait. And I think Betzalel understood what Moshe wanted. He wanted the people to show patience. Because there's two sins that we have here. We have the sin of Adam. And the sin of Adam was that he didn't wait six hours until Shabbat came. Until it would have been a mitzvah. Until he could have eaten from the tree. till everything would have changed. All he had to do was wait for six hours. But he lacked the patience. And when B'nai Israel came the next morning, Moshe was going to return by the sixth hour. Again, six hours, the same time they could have waited, should have waited, should have been patient. They weren't. They rushed and they did the sin of the Egel. Therefore, to be mechaper, to be an atonement for the Egel, what do we need to do? We need to learn that there's a power in patience. There's a power in waiting. And finally, we see how no one is lost, no one is unrewarded. Hur stood up. He stood up to B'nai Israel to try to prevent them from worshipping the Egel. But the rabble stepped forward and they killed him. He lost his life. But what did he gain? 
he comes back in his grandson to be the kapara, to be the person who builds the Mishkan. And there's something unbelievable. We see that the temple of King Solomon is destroyed, but the Mishkan of Betzalel was never destroyed, it was hidden away. It has this ability to last forever. Why? Because those who built the Mishkan were done with a pure heart and a pure effort. While Shlomo HaMelech brought artisans from Syria and Turkey and wherever, the perfection lies in the person wanting to do the work. We have in the synagogue, we have Sefer Torah that my dad did. Another one that I have uh, that that's there next to it from from my cousin Jeffrey and uh, Heather in, uh, in honor of their son, uh, Philip. And then we have a, a Sefer Torah that I got from the Achiezer that my grandfather made in 1933. And it was the middle of the Depression. And it's all hand-chased brass and silver. And next to it, there's two older Sefer Torah. One from the time of my great-grandfather, one from the time of my great-great-grandfather. It's unbelievable to be able to connect to such beautiful things but not just beautiful things made by artists, beautiful things made by artists with such beautiful hearts and a beautiful connection. We should all be zuchet to have this connection, to work on doing things, making beautiful things. We have something called Hadarat HaKodesh. You know, I, I heard uh, Rabbi Sachs, he once said, he said the Greeks, they found the holiness, holiness, holiness was the art. But we have Hadarat HaKodesh. We take the art, we have it, and we imbue it with the holiness. There's something special in what we do and how we do it. We're very, very lucky that we have these things. We have to reconnect to our Mikdash Me'at. We have to go back to our synagogues. We have to reconnect to the Yir'at below, to connect to the Yir'at above. We have to take our fear. We begin with fear, but we have to let that fear grow to a love. We have to do things because we're in awe of heaven. We're in awe of Hashem. We have such a love for Hashem. We want Hashem, our Father, to be proud of us. So many lessons we see in these parashiyot. So many lessons from this one person, Betzalel. May we be zocher to do what's right and to bring again the Mikdash to see it built.